All right, children, hope you have a wonderful time in the back. Again, if you're remaining in here with us, we'd encourage you to turn to 1 John uh, chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, we're going to read a couple verses at the end of chapter 2 and then uh, extend into chapter 3 a little bit. Um, If you haven't been with us, um, this fall we've been looking at the letters of John, the Apostle John, letters that he wrote to local congregations that were meeting in um, first century Asia Minor. And uh, what we learn is that John wasn't just an apostle, but he was also a pastor. And so he had his home base in the city of Ephesus, and he would travel from time to time to these different churches and When he couldn't travel, he would write them letters. And we know that at this point in John's life, uh, he's able to travel less and less frequently because he is getting older. And so last week, I encourage you to imagine what it would have been like to be in those churches and and receive a letter from the Apostle John. Uh, This morning, I want you to think a little bit about what it would feel like to be a member of one of these uh, really embattled churches. What we learn from history is that they were facing all sorts of pressures. There was uh, intense persecution, fierce persecution that came from both the Romans and the Jews uh, towards Christians in the first century. And so that meant it could be pretty perilous to be a Christian. You never knew when you could be arrested or even killed for your faith. And so there were all these external challenges that these first century Christians faced, but what we've learned is that there were some internal challenges as well. So imagine for a minute that you're a member of one of these small churches and you gather on a Sunday and you notice that that so-and-so is is missing from church that Sunday. You don't think much of it, but you take note of it. And the next week you notice that more and more people are, are missing from worship on Sunday and the following week even more people are missing. And so you finally wonder, what on earth is is going on here? So you start to inquire and you learn, you discover that they are all leaving to attend a fellowship that's happening around the corner or whatever it was. And that fellowship you've heard a little bit about. They boast a, a secret knowledge of God that one has to possess in order to gain uh, salvation. And that fellowship's preacher is, is charismatic uh, he's attractive, he's persuasive, and if you go to that fellowship, you'll, you'll hear messages, and, and in that fellowship, you'll learn that uh, obedience to faith really isn't all that important. Um, in fact, what you do in your body, what you do with your behavior, doesn't really matter a whole lot, as long as you have that secret knowledge from God that this fellowship boasts. So the following Sunday, more and more people are talking about it. More and more people are talking about going and visiting this other fellowship. uh, Because after all, that seems a whole lot easier. It seems a lot less costly, a lot less risky than what this fellowship is really talking about. So your congregation is shrinking. Then all of a sudden somebody says, we got to tell John about this. We have to, to tell John what is happening. So word reaches the Apostle John And he decides to write a letter to this church. His heart is breaking to learn that people are forsaking the true gospel, that they're embracing something that is false. His heart is breaking to learn that people don't care much about living for Christ. They don't care much about their behavior and their obedience to the faith. And so John decides he's going to write them a letter. And in that letter, he wants to encourage those who are remaining faithful 
He wants to warn those who might be tempted to sneak away to that other fellowship because it's easier or less risky. But really what he wants to do is he wants to lift up Jesus as really the only true source of life. And so with all that in mind and our imaginations activated, let's look now at 1 John chapter 2, verses 29, and then I'm going to read through chapter 3, verse 10. This is God's word. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are now God's, we are, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, and for the, and for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for how powerful it is. Thank you that we have these amazing letters from the Apostle John written with the heart of a pastor for a church that's really struggling. Father, help us to see the relevance of what this this meant to those first Christians, but also what it means to to us, Lord, as we think about what it means to follow you in the world we live in here today, what it means to really be children of God, children of light in a world that is dark. So be with us now in the next few minutes as we just reflect on your word. Speak to us by the power of your spirit. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So as Wade mentioned a little earlier, um, we've been having an adult formation course that's been meeting uh, for the past couple weeks, and uh, it has been a rich discussion uh, on the topic of identity and how we uh, form our identity, what are the sort of labels that we live in, how we become the people who we are. And one of the things that we've talked about is that we all carry around labels that tend to inform our identity as people. And there's all sorts of things that shape us into who we are. We have a particular race. We have a particular gender. um, We all have sort of ethnicities and cultures and hobbies and behaviors that shape us into the people we are. 
as we sit here today. We come from families, we come from neighborhoods, they all help shape our identity as people. But one of the things that we've been looking at or can continue to look at is that we all have spiritual identifying markers as well that are given to us by God. The Bible tells us that we are all a creation of God, that we are made in his image, that we are made in his likeness. Uh, The Bible tells us that we are all tragically fallen. We are all beset by sin. We are polluted by um, its, its, its elements in every part of our lives. We are helpless to save ourselves because of that. But what the gospel also reminds us is that we can be redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. In Christ, as we just declared in our affirmation of faith, in Christ we are chosen, we are loved, we are forgiven, and we are redeemed. These are all spiritual identifying markers that should shape us into who we are. But I don't know about you, a lot of times I forget about those things. I forget about the identity that I have in Jesus Christ and and I allow my own life to be shaped by lesser things. And I think that's a little bit about what's going on in our passage here this morning as well. And so what John wants to do here is to remind this church that is very discouraged by all sorts of pressures, he wants them to remind them of their identity. He wants to remind them of their identity as children of God, who they are in Jesus Christ. He wants them to see what that means in the now and lastly, what that will be in the future. Why is he doing this? He wants to instill in them the joy and the confidence that comes in Jesus despite no matter what troubles or pressures or things we are facing. This is significant because you and I, friends, bear that same identity. We are called to find our identity in Jesus, to let that fuel our joy and confidence in life, no matter how difficult the challenges are that we face. So let's start at least by thinking about what this identity is. And we come to verse 1 in chapter 3 that says this, such an amazing verse. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. What's John saying? He's saying that you and I, we are recipients of the love of God, and that love adopts us as God's children. Christian, that is who you are. That's what John is saying here. He's reminding us that God the Father loves you and I with the same intensity that he loves his very own son. Think about that for a minute. He loves us with the same intensity with which he loves his very own son. And that's hard to believe because we are messy people. And what John's reminding them is no matter how messy you are, no matter how unfaithful you are, no matter how many times you may fall down, that love that has adopted you into the family of God, nothing can take that away from you. Nothing can take that love away from you. Nothing can take you away from the Father's hand. Nothing can orphan you from this family of God. See, John wants to remind them of that amazing truth. He wants them to abide in that truth, to let it soak in and shape who they are. 
Really, um, this is no different than what the Apostle Paul wanted for the church in Ephesus as well. If you turn over to Ephesians chapter 3, here's another pastor talking to another church in Asia Minor, reminding them of the love of Christ. He says to them, he wants them to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. He wants them to know just how much they are loved. You see, I think for some of us, the challenge is we know this intellectually, but it's hard at times to experience it. We know it intellectually, but we know that it's hard to live in its fullness. I was meeting with a friend this week, and we were talking about this very thing, and uh, the way she likened it was this. She said, my whole life I've loved Elvis Presley. I still love to play Elvis Presley music. And, and when Elvis was performing, you know, I would, I would watch his performances. I would listen to his music. I learned everything I could about Elvis Presley. And everybody knew, knew me, knew that I loved Elvis Presley. She's like, but I never met the man. I never got to see him live. So did I ever really experience Elvis Presley? What she said is that, that in many ways that's characterized her faith. She's known about this love of God intellectually, but she still struggles to experience it. I think that's true for a lot of us as Christians. We know in our brains that God loves us, but have we really experienced it? Have we drunk from the vastness of that ocean of God's love? And then do we let God's love define who we are? Do we let it define our identity as people? That's where John steps in and he says, abide in him. No doubt John's thinking of of Jesus' high priestly prayer in in John chapter 7 from from John's gospel. What he wants uh, us to remember, what he wants them to remember is abiding in him means letting the reality of God's love shape who we are. Letting his love inform our identity, letting that love of Jesus wash over us so that we can experience it in its fullness and its power. And so what does it mean to abide in Jesus? What does it mean to live out our identity as beloved children of God? That's where John goes next. He wants us to see what it means for us in the now, okay? It's good for us to intellectually grasp that or even to emotionally experience the love of God, but how does it transform my day-to-day? How does it transform how I live my life in the now? It's a good question. I've been recently watching um, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's new television show on Amazon Prime. I've loved those books when I was younger. I even reread some of them last year. And so um, uh, when I heard that Amazon Prime was putting out these shows, I was like, oh, I'll watch some of those and check it out. And I'm sure the purists hate them and are offended by it all, but whatever, I'm going to enjoy it. But there's a, a character in the show, and I don't think I'm going to spoil the show if, you're, if you want to watch it or you're in the middle of it, but there's a character in the show uh, who has a pretty unique story. He's enigmatic for a little while. He's kind of a loner. He stays to himself, and he's a bit of a recluse. You don't know much about him, but then you discover that he's actual royalty. 
He's the the heir to this uh, throne of power, and yet he wants to run in the opposite direction. He wants to live as a nomad. He doesn't want the baggage that comes from that. And what you learn automatically is that he's not living out of his true identity. He's not living out who he really is. You see, John wants us and his readers to understand that if, you, if we are in Christ, then we are sons and daughters of the King. And what that means is that you are loved more than you can imagine. And if we're loved more than we can imagine, we ought not wander through life as if we are estranged orphans who are cut off and alone from the true source of life. And so John wants us to understand our identity and then live out of it. Well, what does he mean by that? He gives us some examples. It means we abide in Christ. It means we don't wander from him and from the path of Christ. We avail ourselves of the means of grace that God has given to us. We abide in him by enfolding ourselves in a community of faith and saturating and refreshing ourselves in the truth of the gospel. So it means abiding in Christ. But it also means that we put away the practices of sin and we embrace righteousness. There's a lot of, a lot of language that John uses here that, that, that can get a little tricky to work through. But what he's trying to establish is that if we're living out our identity in Christ, it means that we put away these practices of sin and we embrace righteousness or right things. Now, it doesn't mean that, that we don't cease sinning completely as Christians, but it does mean that abiding in Christ, living in him, means we battle with sin day in and day out. We're never going to be able to eradicate it this side of heaven. John's already established that earlier on in his previous chapters. But it means that in our lives as we live them, it means that we recognize sin and we repent of it. We don't abide in it. Instead, we pursue after righteousness. And so what that means is the evidence of our adoption in Jesus Christ is our repentance, our recognition of sin and turning in the other direction. In fact, John is so bold to say that without repentance, we have to question if we truly have the life of Christ in us. Pretty intense verse John finishes this passage with in verse 10 when he says this, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Wow, John's really throwing the gloves down when he mentions this verse, this is, this is intense language. Why, why is he being so harsh here? Well, remember John's context. People were leaving the church. They were embracing a gospel that said our behavior, what we do in the body, those things don't really matter. You can live the way you want in the body. As long as you have that secret knowledge, then it doesn't matter what we do with our lives. It doesn't matter what we do with our behavior. And so John, in really direct language, screams, no, those things do matter. If you truly are a child of God, then sin will be incongruent with your lifestyle and identity as a son or daughter of a king. 
Because when the love of God grips us, it means that our desires, it means that our loves become reoriented. We're no longer uh, called to be passively indifferent about our own sinfulness. And instead of pursuing sin, we are called to pursue righteousness. That is the evidence that we have been born of him. So what does it mean to be a child of God? It means to abide in Christ. It means putting away these practices of sin. It means embracing righteousness. That's what this means in the now. It's what it means in the day-to-day ways in which we live our lives and live out our identity. But lastly, John wants us to understand not just what it means in the now, and this is beautiful, He wants us to understand what this will be. Verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So I have to imagine that these Amazon episodes that I'm watching, and if you've seen them, don't spoil it for me, but I have to imagine at some point this character that I told you about is going to embrace his full identity as an heir to the throne and that full identity will be revealed for all and everyone to see in this magnificent moment well christian the same is true for you and for me one day your full identity as a son or daughter as a loved one of god will be revealed for all to see See, the Bible talks about the full inheritance that we will receive as sons and daughters of the Father. Ephesians talks about all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realm being given to God's children. And what that means is this, that what our faith means, what Jesus has done for us will one day be revealed for all to see. And in that moment, all the pain and all the trouble and all the sadness will pass away forever. But for right now, persecutions, sufferings, that's often what comes from our identity in Jesus Christ. But then, one day, we will have the fullness of joy and all will behold the glory of our God. So now think about what an encouragement this must have been to those little churches, right? Those little churches that are dealing with external pressures and internal pressures, all sorts of troubles. Those little churches that are sad watching member after member walk out the door. These little churches that must have felt weak and ineffectual under the constant threat of persecution. And John says, don't forget who you are in Jesus. Don't forget what it means in the now. And don't forget what it will mean one day when all is revealed. But for now, abide in Jesus. Because after all, he is the only source of true life. He is the only source of eternal life. Just as in closing, I've told this story before, um, but I remember watching a David Letterman interview not too long ago. And uh, I guess it was... quite a bit long ago now because David Letterman doesn't do his show anymore. But uh, David Letterman was interviewing an actor named Ryan Reynolds and um, David Letterman had had a, a child late in life and I think Ryan Reynolds had just had his child or whatever it was. And so they were sitting there talking about, um, 
uh, the significance of having children and what it meant to them to have their, their very first child and how really for both of them it introduced them to a love that they'd never really experienced before. And Ryan Reynolds told this story about meeting his wife and how wonderful their relationship was and how he would constantly tell his wife just how much um, he loved her and he would say, I love you, there's nothing I wouldn't do for you, I'd step in front of a train for you anytime if your life was threatened, right? All these things that we say to people we fall in love with. And then he, he joked that when he was holding his first child in his arms, he looked at his wife And he said, I wouldn't hesitate to throw you in front of a train to save this child. And I thought that was a bit of a weird joke, but I think the truth is important. And that is there's really nothing that rivals a father's love for a child or a mother's love for that matter. I have four kids of my own. They drive me crazy, but there's nothing I would not do for the sake of my own kids. And so take that love, take that love Multiply that love to infinity, and that is the love that the Father has for you as his children. He loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son so that you could be forgiven and redeemed and restored. Friends, my prayer for you and myself is the same that John had for his churches, same Paul had for his churches as well, that we would comprehend the love that God has for us. We will spend all of eternity exploring the height, the depth, the length, and the width of God's love for us as we bask in all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realm. But for now, for now, we need to live in that identity as loved children of God while we look forward in hope to all that is in store for us on the other side of eternity. Let's pray.